Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. read on the passage of scripture here. First Samuel 17, this is the classic story of David and Goliath. Everybody pretty much knows it. You know how it ends. If you don't, David wins. David's the little uh, 17-year-old kid who takes out the nine-foot-tall giant um, in the name of and for the glory of God. And um, we see this not as a underdog story necessarily, but more so as a picture of the redemption that Jesus Christ um, has already purchased on our behalf. And so we're looking at it from a little bit different point of view. Um, David is so much like God. God comes into our story and we are like the Israelites. We are like Saul. We are stuck, unable to move forward. God comes in and defeats our enemy, sin, defeats our enemy, death, and he conquers them and he leads us into victory. And so the point of this whole sermon series is for us to see ourselves in Jesus's victory march, walking alongside him, living in freedom that he intended us to live in. And, and this way, our lives would actually give him glory. Our lives would reflect his greatness and his goodness. And so uh, when we read the story of David and Goliath, I'm not going to be talking about how you need to, you know, get, get, how you need to get some stones, okay? You, I'm not going to be talking about how you need to get some rocks and go out there and kill your giants. No, uh, God has already taken out your giant, and uh, we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to see the victory in our lives. So we're going to look at the giant of comfort and how it's found in this context. And 1 Samuel 17, verse 12 says, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. Uh, in the days of Saul, the man, uh, Jesse, was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. So these are the three oldest boys of Jesse. If we go on to the next verse, we find that David was the youngest. He wasn't invited to the battle. Back in those days, it was an honor to be asked to fight for, the, for their country. So, so each family would send their best, and David wasn't picked. Uh, so sometimes, sometimes, sometimes what God sees in you is different than what other people see in you. Sometimes other people don't see what God's put inside of you. And that's what happened with David, right? David was, he was left at home. David the youngest. Uh, the three oldest fo followed Saul, but David, and this is going to be a key verse for us, David went back and forth. See that? David went back and forth. Uh, this, is, this is what you do if you're a man shopping at HEB. You go back and forth. Um, got any male amens in the house? That's how. That's what that means. Go back and forth. And so, so, so in so in in, in 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 other words, when when we find David on the battlefield, right? In just a few verses, he shows up and he takes out the giant. Woo! It's awesome. Well, that wasn't David's first time to the battlefield because David had been going back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, verse 16 tells us that it was 40 days that the Philistine, that's, that's, that's Goliath, that's the giant, the Philistine came forward, took his stand morning and evening, 
uh, one Jewish scholar said that uh, that was because they had prayers uh, in morning and evening, and Goliath was trying to interrupt their prayers. How many of you know that, that if you have a giant in your life, he will constantly try to attack your time with God? He will, he will try to be the loudest voice in your ear and try to remove you from that place of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what the giant's doing. While they're trying to pray, he's shouting them down. Uh, he's taunting them. He's challenging them. He's saying, look, you send somebody out to me and, and fight with me. I'll fight with him. The winner, uh, winner takes all kind of situation for 40 days. And this, that, that, that term 40 days is important for 40 days, 40 days. You might, if you've read the Bible at all, you'll notice that there are a lot of instances where there are this, this, this there is this reference to 40 days. Um, for instance, Noah, you might have heard that story. He built the boat, uh, brought all the animals onto the boat. God flooded the whole earth and the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that's not just, that's not, that's not, that's not a chance. That's not an accident. Um, the Bible's very clear. It was exactly 40 days and 40 nights. Now, uh, why, why would the Bible point that out? Well, because anytime you see 40 days or 40 years or sometimes 40 in, 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 in any length of time, it, God's trying to share something. He's trying to show us a pattern in his word. For instance, when Jesus, in the New Testament, Jesus, after he was baptized, uh, he was driven out to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted um, by Satan in the wilderness. And then once again, that wasn't an accident. Uh, it, it was very purposeful. The 40 days is, is very purposeful, purposeful. It's very important to understanding what was going on with Jesus in the wilderness. He was there for 40 days. Well, also the children of Israel, when they were led up out of Egypt and God took them to the promised land, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And on their first stop uh, out of the first major stop out of Egypt, they stopped at a mountain called Mount Sinai. And Moses went up to the mountain and received the Ten Commandments as well as the other commandments from God. And, and he was on the mountain for how long? For somebody's listening. That's what I'm talking about. All right. This side, you guys don't, you're not even, come on. Come on, you're on the phone. No, just kidding. Um, yeah. we, we, we actually encourage on the phone. Go ahead and share stuff, tweet stuff, post stuff, post stuff, take some pictures, some selfies, do whatever you need to do, check in. But uh, it was 40 days. That's, that's significant. 40 days, if you're into biblical numerology, typically 40 is, is, a, is, a, is a destined length of time that God um, appoints, that God chooses specifically for testing for a time of testing. Now, testing is not always um, like, 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 like when you're in school taking tests. Sometimes testing is simply God um, seeing what is inside of you. It, he, it allows you to see your, 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 what's in on the inside starts coming, bubbling up onto the outside. So when Jesus was tested, by the devil for 40 days, he started spouting off scripture because that's what was on the inside. When the Israelites were waiting at the bottom of Sinai for 40 days, at the end, they decided, you know what? We think Moses died up there. And so we need to build this other idol in order to, a, a different representation of Jehovah, still Jehovah, just this new representation of him. They grew impatient. So, so, so often 40 days in this instance really shows us what we're made of. It's a time of testing all Always, though, followed by a massive transition. A time of testing followed by massive transition. 
And for many of us, this is exactly where we are. We are in a 40-day kind of period. Um, in, in many ways, our country is in a 40-day kind of period. In many ways, our world is in a 40-day. We are in a time of testing, and a massive transition is coming. Um, for instance, with obviously with Noah, uh, 40 days and 40 nights, at the end of that, um, a massive transition happened for the earth. The entire world was changed, both uh, uh, geographically as well as the population of the earth was drastically changed at the end of that 40 days. When Jesus was tested in the wilderness, when he came out, that's when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and he began preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, massive transition uh, in his life. In Mount Sinai, it was a massive transition. It was the first time ever that God actually made a covenant with an entire group of people that he wrote down <laughs> with his own finger. He wrote, chiseled it in the stone. Um, prior to that, he had had conversations with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Moses. But now he was codifying it, writing it, a massive transition. And so in that sense, honestly, whatever giant you're facing is, is kind of a good thing. Like, you don't, you don't get David without Goliath. You, you, you don't have a David without a Goliath. If you don't have this 40 days of testing, they would have never figured out that they had a giant slayer hanging out among them. That's what, that's what the 40 days is for. God allows giants into our lives in order to bring out of us what has been in us all along and to lead us into this great transition. And so, and so many of you, I just hope that you take courage and that you take heart in the fact that, yes, I may be facing a giant, but God is allowing me to face this giant in order to bring something out of me that he's put inside of me that won't come out any other way. The 40 days of testing is always followed by this massive transition. And sometimes, as, 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 as Tommy Tenney used to say, the size of your, of, of, of your enemy can be a clue to the size of, of, of your destiny. So the, the, the level of, of giant that you're facing might just clue you in a little bit as to this transition that is gonna happen in your life that God is taking you from. And so, uh, so, so having understood that, when you're in the 40 though, like, like how you function in the 40 is so important. How you function in those 40 days is so important and that's much of what we're talking about. Much of what we're talking about is this, this period of testing that I think many of us are facing and walking through in our own lives. We have giants in front of us stopping us from moving forward and we have this, this, this length of time, this, this period where, where God is allowing these things to happen but he's trying to do something in us. He's trying to raise something up inside of us. He's trying to change us, trying to transition us. This is what he's doing for the people of Israel. He's transitioning from King Saul to King David. This took years in the making, but he's bringing a transition. I think God wants to bring transition into your life. And that's why he allows giants. And this is what's happening. 40 days, the Philistine comes forward, takes his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an, an, an ephah, which is about 23 liters worth of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly um, to the camp to your brothers. Um, also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, bring some token from them. If we can go back to the other verse, that's where I'm gonna hang out. But I want you to understand this is, this is where David is. David is going back and forth, bringing supplies to his brothers. 
His brothers, meanwhile, are stuck for 40 days and they, they're, they're not doing anything. This is complacency. This is what complacency looks like on the outside. Complacency looks like the people of Israel, they're, 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 they're gearing up every day to fight this giant and then he comes up and then they, they, they run. They never move forward, this complacency. Now, I'm sharing this, this backstory so that you understand that honestly, obviously, it's a little bit more complex than that. You know, it's not as simple as, well, we're not doing anything. No, actually, we are doing things. We're just not doing anything. <laughs> Sometimes what complacency looks like on the outside and what it feels like on the inside are two very different things. And I think we have a, a cultural, um, deep cultural understanding of this, even this week. And um, I wasn't sure if I was going to share about uh, my thoughts on the Parkland uh, shooting this, this week, but, but I think it's important sometimes. I don't always get all, you know, current event-ish, because um, <laughs> we're talking about a 3,000-year-old event here and how that applies to our lives. But just as I was studying this, this idea of complacency, I, 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 I began to feel sympathetic for the brothers, right, for Eliab, for, Eb, for Abinadab and um, Shama, began to feel sympathetic for them. Because I don't know how they felt, but I know, I know how it looks. It looks like nothing's getting done, nothing, nothing's happening. And, and, and I know that uh, in many ways in our country, it feels like that also. Uh, there's so many hashtags, there's so many massacres, there's so many... Uh, you know, pray for Vegas, pray for Parkland, pray for Louisiana, pray for Boston. Pray. I mean, it seems like, it seems like almost like, like, like there's like, uh, what would they call it? Trauma fatigue <laughs> that my generation is experiencing. And, and so in a way I, I, I can understand a, a complacency that looks on the outside like nothing's happening, but on the inside, it tears you up. Like you're emotionally tore up, you're, 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 you're emotionally distraught. Is, 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 is it just me or is anybody else emotionally tore up? Over seven, four, was it 14 kids and three teachers being gunned down in a high school? Is that, is that, yeah, okay, lovely. We got a couple humans in the room. This is great, <laughs> something to work with. It's, it's terrible. It, I, I, I never had to deal with this. When I was growing up, I, I, I mean, there was Columbine, you know, I, I desperately remembered that. Um, but it seems like that was like a huge isolated incident. But now it's like, you might be in Vegas, you might, you might be at school, you might be, we don't know, it, it's, it's getting like, 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 like I met with Nick this week. Nick's, Nick's, Nick was in the hospital again. And those of you that know Nick, he's like 150 years old and he was sharing a, no, just kidding. He's 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 seventy five. He's seventy five. Just to get it right, um, he's one of our the, one of our oldest members here at City Chapel. And he was and he was talking. He was watching on the news. He's like, man, what's this world coming to? Because you know, in his childhood, I mean, he didn't. You know, I think the first major like public shooting was here in Texas. Actually, Texas State, uh, uh, U, uh, the, the UT University of Texas, from the clock the clock tower. 
Um, and, and when that happened, people had no context for what was happening. So even as it was happening, like I watched this documentary on it, like they were still just walking around. Like they thought there was like hunting accident or something because everybody had a shotgun in their truck. And like this kind of, you know, sniper stuff had never like, like they just never occurred to them. Whereas now we know exactly what it is, code red. We know exactly what's going on. We have, we have visual images and, and hashtags that we've been suffering from. And I, and I know our community was not, you know, directly impacted, but, but all of us are impacted by this. All of us are mourning this. And even today, churches are gathering in Florida with less people than they had last week. And they got funerals to do and they got, uh, uh, you know, 15 year old kids to bury. And, and this is, this is difficult, but, but it seems like there's a bit of a cycle, right? It seems like there's, it's like, it's like this happens and everybody's like praying for this area and we all feel bad. And Jimmy Kimmel cries. And, um, like he all, you know, he's just, he's, he's figured that out in the last year and a half. He's got the whole t- crying thing and, and he, you know, he does his deal and, and, and then, and then, and then, and we, we, we ought to, I mean, that's, that's appropriate. We ought to feel bad. It's ought to tear us up. This is not okay. This is not normal. This shouldn't be happening. And, and then though, after that, then we kind of start bickering then we start fighting. Right. And then, then the left, they say, well, we got to have more gun control or stricter gun laws or take away guns or whatever. And then, and then the right, they're like, no, we need to help like people who are, who are, who are mentally unstable. We need to do more intervention there and we need to have more guns teachers need to have guns and 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 both sides you know the left and the right which by the way um we have we have a lot of both of those folks in our church so several of you are sitting right here and i love you and i'm glad that you're here um if you if you are a democrat um jesus loves you i love you i'm glad that you're here if you're a republican jesus loves you i love you i'm glad that you're here Uh, we have honestly you know, I, my news feed, I have friends on both sides of the aisle, so I'm sticking with my friends. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I refuse to kind of take like one particular hard line on it because I'm pastoring people who feel very strongly about both sides of the spectrum. And I get it. I, I totally get it. I see their point of view. But here's the deal. Like as a church, here's what it looks like though from the outside. It doesn't feel like complacency, but the truth is nothing's getting done. Let's face it, we're not slowing down the violence in our cities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. It's getting worse. And so what complacency feels like and what it looks like are two very different things. Because we, we fight, we bicker, and then, and, then, and then summer comes and we go on vacation. And then November, we try to vote, pe- vote in people and vote out people and, and, and try to move things around. And, but no matter who gets voted in and who gets voted out, it seems like we still keep facing the same thing and it keeps growing. And honestly, it looks like complacency. I know it doesn't feel like that. It feels like we're actively engaged and some of us are doing marches and like, you know, going to the Franklin Graham rally. That's all the Republicans. And uh, you know, like we're like, like the, it feels like we're doing stuff, right? We're sitting around the campfire. I mean, you, you, you have to know these people, like these Israelites, they're sitting around the campfire. They, there, was, there, there, there was the whole side of people who thought that, 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 that we ought to like get the bow and arrows, you know, and just shoot some arrows into, into Goliath's head, you know, and they were the, Below bow and arrow party, the the the, the baps. So the so, so, so the baps are on this side, and they every time he challenged them, they're like, "Well, that's because we haven't shot him with a bow and arrow yet. We got to get more." And then these people are like, "No, no, no. We need to get gasoline and pour it on his t- 
toes and light them on fire, run away. And, you know, we, I mean, you, 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 you have to know, like, these guys were not just sitting around there just going, oh, I guess we're not going to do it. No, they were, they were emotionally engaged. They were probably even figuring out good policies, like anti-giant policies, you know, <laughs> figure out, like, we're going to make that illegal right there. And, you know, they're, like, they're going to figure it out, and, and everybody is, is doing their thing. But, but the truth is, it's not changing. Like nothing's happening. Nobody's taking out the giant. Nobody's moving forward. And I feel like I can, I can associate, associate with that personally. I feel like our church can associate with that. I feel like there's such um, sorrow and anger just under the surface. I feel like the people I'm pastoring are having to deal with these tragedies time and time and time again. And then all the bickering that happens Apparently some of it's from like guys in Russia that are like doing the, that was some crazy stuff reading about that this week. It's like, what? So, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like the, the fire is being fueled, the arguments happen, but then honestly, we all go back to our lives and we live our lives and then we kind of forget about it. And then election comes along and then we sort of elect people that we think will do whatever. And then, and then we put it off on the government. They're gonna hopefully get this thing fixed and then they don't. And then we're like, we're back where we started. And I just, I, 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 I just feel like the church has got to have more to offer than, than a policy change. Because, uh, you know, re- regardless of if you're a, a diehard Democrat or a, uh, a dipped and dyed Republican, um, both of those things, gun control and like more guns, those things can be, can be done without the Holy Spirit. Those things can be done by people who just don't even believe in God or know God or, or anything like that. And so as a pastor, where I stand on this is first and foremost, I mean, it's a place of sorrow that we've come to this place. But secondly, like we as a church, we need the Holy Spirit. We need uh, not to set down weapons. We need to pick up weapons and not, not weapons of, of, you know, semi-automatics, but we need to pick up the weapon of prayer. So greater than policy, before policy, City Chapel believes in prayer. Like really, we really believe in prayer. Prayer is not sympathy. Sympathy is good. Prayer is not sympathy. Prayer is not condolences. Prayer is not good vibes. It's just FYI, Austin, it's not prayer. Good vibes are vibes, you know? I don't even know what the heck that is, but, you know, send them out to the universe if you want to. I really don't care. But, no, prayer is different. Like, 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 like in, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, uh, Peter, one of the church leaders, was put into prison one night, and while he was in prison, the people of God were praying, not sending good vibes. They were praying. And prayer is when you enter into the throne room of God before a God who can do anything, and you call on him, you enter boldly into his presence, and you call on him to do stuff. And that's what they did. They, the, the, the Bible says that while Peter was in prison, the people were praying. Peter, pickle, pipper, pipper. And, 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 and Peter's in prison, the people are praying. And, and while the people are praying, an angel shows up at the prison, unlocks the prison gate, tells Peter, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm here to get you out. And he's like, what, what are you doing here? Well, the people are praying. And then, and, then, and, then, and then he gets Peter and leads him to the prayer meeting. Pete shows up at the prayer meeting. They're praying, God, God, rescue Peter from prison. He's knocking on the door. They open it up. They're like, what, what in the world? I mean, you want to talk about like, like, they, like they, they, they went instantly to charismatic, right? They turned Pentecostal in a moment because 
Prayer changes things. It is not condolences. It is not good thoughts. It's not thinking of you. It is bringing your need before the throne of Almighty God, believing that He does change the course of history. He moves mountains. He opens prison doors. He just sets captives free. And we're not shocked by this because He's able to do it. And we, that's what prayer is. So first and foremost, we got to pray. So let's, let's just take some time right now to pray. Is, it, is that all right if we sort of, if you guys preach with me, this is part of the sermon. This, this, is, all, this is all you guys, you guys are going to help, help me preach because right now there are, there are churches in Parkland, Florida meeting right now. They, they are gathering like they're right now. They are a part of our body. They're a part of our family. If they call Jesus Lord, they're a part of us. So Lord, we come before you in prayer because this is not our last resort. This is our first response. This is the best possible thing that we can do. We have more power when we, when we, when we stand before the throne room of God than, bef- than if we were to stand in Congress or before the President of the United States. We stand before God who is not limited He can go right to where they are. Lord, we ask for you to send comfort directly to the people of Parkland right now. Whether they believe in you or not, whether they acknowledge you or not is no different. Lord, send peace into their heart. Send comfort to those who have lost loved ones, to those that have lost friends and family members. God, wrap them. Let the comforter of the Holy Spirit wrap around them like a blanket and and, and lead them to the cross. Lead them to Jesus Christ. Lead them to joy. Lead them to a place of peace and a place of rest and a place of comfort that cannot be explained with human reasoning, that cannot be obtained through counseling, but can only come by the presence of God. Lord, we ask for you to to speak to them. We ask for you to stir up your church right now in Parkland. Lord, stir up the pastors in Parkland to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Stir up the people in Parkland to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, may may they reach out to their community. May they engage their community in love. Lord, we come against the spirit of hatred, the spirit of violence that is, that, that is, is wrecking havoc on our culture, the spirit of death. And we ask, Lord, for your spirit of life. We ask for other 19-year-olds who are thinking about the same thing, that you would, you would save them before they, before they kill themselves, before they kill other people. God, they, it's because they haven't experienced your love. Pour out your love on Parkland today. Pour out your love in people's hearts. God, let them know how valuable they are. And even, even, this, even this cruise kid, as he sits in jail on suicide watch, Lord, would you, would you pour out your love to him just as you forgave people that were killing you as they were doing it? Your love is not limited by what we have done and, and what, what giants are in his life that brought him to this place. God, wrap your arms around him. Invite him into salvation. May forgiveness and peace abound in Parkland. And may people do the one thing that can really change the world, and that is pray. <laughs> may your church all around this country. In fact, Lord, we just pray for Williams Elementary. This is our territory. This is our place. This is what, this is what you've called us to. Lord, we just pray for this place, that there wouldn't be any violent 
outbreaks in this place, that you would establish your angels at the every door of this place, that you would disrupt every plan of the enemy in this place. You would protect every teacher and every faculty member and the principal and all of the kids, Lord. We ask for this neighborhood, God, that you would dispel drugs and alcohol addiction, that you would come against the spirit of poverty in this neighborhood, that you would come against every giant that's holding people back in this neighborhood and let your love shine into their hearts. Let your love establish itself in this neighborhood. If you have kids, man, you ought to be praying for the school that your kids go to every single day. You ought to be covering that place in the blood. You ought to be calling on God to do the miraculous in that place, whatever that, wherever that is. If you work somewhere, you ought to be praying for your job. You ought to be praying for your coworkers. We ought to be praying for our family members, Lord. We come before you and we don't take this prayer thing lightly. It's not, it's not just good thoughts. This is, this is communicating with the God of the universe and you change things. You bring about lasting change. We glorify you today. May you be lifted up and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. So first off, we pray. That's how City Chapel believes in responding to this kind of thing. This is how I respond to this kind of thing. And this is how we ought to live, not just responding to tragedy, but there is, there is, no, there is no policy, political policy, that can make up for a lack of prayer. You, you cannot invent enough ways to protect yourself. You cannot create enough. There is no policy that can make up for the, the absence of the church. When the church is too busy sitting on the sideline, arguing about what we ought to do and how we ought to do it, there is no policy that's going to protect our kids. There is no policy that's going to keep our nation safe. Because even in our own entertainment, it's getting 50 shades darker. You know what I'm saying? The light is turning. Even in romantic relate, we're get, you cannot glorify violence and abuse and kick God out of the school and expect the devil not to come in. Somebody has to stand up in the spirit realm. I don't mean get on Twitter. I mean get on your knees. Somebody's got to connect with God. Somebody's got to call down revival. Somebody's got to. It's, it's not going to happen otherwise. If we abandon the valley of Elah, we will never defeat the giant of anger, the giant of violence in our city. We will not do it. It's not going to happen because we sit around and argue and talk about it and, 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 and feel self-justified and self-righteous that, boy, if our people would have just got elected. No, it's, we cannot wait till November. We, can't, we cannot wait. We, people, some people aren't even going to live till November. We have to engage our community in prayer right now. We have to connect with God right now. We have to, for our own sake, for our own family's sake, we have to connect with God. We have to have the friendship of the Holy Spirit. We must engage in prayer. Otherwise, we have completely stepped out of the valley of Elah. We pray and then we repent. We, we repent. There's a passage just this week. I was texting somebody. Uh, they were asking me about this because, because it seems like, we've, it seems like the, the time between mourning and bickering is getting shorter and shorter. You notice that? It's like 30 seconds and suddenly people start throwing mud. 
and all but blaming them for actually pulling the trigger. It's crazy. We, we were so angry. We have so much anger built up inside of us. No wonder kids are pulling the trigger. Because that same anger, Jesus said, <laughs> anger is the root of murder. So the more we fuel anger, the more murder we're going to see. And, and, and so I, I quoted a passage in Romans chapter 5. If we could put that up on the screen, it says that uh, the love of God, this is the answer, by the way, to violence. This is the answer to hate. Activism doesn't drive out hate. Love does. And, and one of the, the, the misconceptions of our culture that keeps us stuck in complacency is we think if we can just become uh, more of an activist, if we can do more things out here, things will be better. And I'm not against activism. I mean, we, we, we feed 100 kids every weekend because we believe in doing good things. One, it feels good. Two, it shows the love of God to our community. We, we feed kids. We read the kids. We started that like two weeks ago. So high five to everybody who's calling Hannah, coming in and reading to folks, uh, reading to kids. We, like, like we believe in being active. Love is active, but activism is not love. It's two different things. So love is active. True love is, is active. But, but this is what will change our world. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that sheds the love of God in our hearts, in our hearts. Not with our hands, not in a rally. As, as, as cool as Franklin Graham is. Uh, <laughs> It's not, it's not a rally, it's repentance. Because the love of God cannot shine into your community until it shines into your heart. The light of the love of God has to be shed abroad in your heart. I mentioned something last service. I'll just, this is hashtag real talk. Um, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was reading this past week just how um, phenomenally prominent uh, pornography is among Christian guys. How normal it is. I, I, I forget the statistic, but it's, it's, it, it, it's so prevalent. And this is how you know that the, that the love of God has not been shed abroad in our hearts. Because we come away from uh, what we call, you know, religious experiences. And we have anger toward other people. But we do not, we have not dealt with our own laptops. We, we have adultery in our heart. And we're fine with it. That's what complacency does. Complacency comes along to you and says, the problem's out there, man. It's way out there. I mean, it's so far out there. It's the other side of the aisle. If those people get it together. But, but seriously, like, like this is obviously there, there are explicit forms of pornography. And I'm talking to this, speaking to this as a guy because it's something that all of us deal with. And then there are like the lesser forms, like you walk into H-E-B and there's a beautiful woman there. And the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in your heart and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, look, the Holy Spirit never bashes anybody. For those of you that have never had an active friendship with the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, He never bashes anybody. He never, He never, He, he, he doesn't know the word libtard. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't bash people because he loves people. Now, religion does, right? Now, now, 
Now, religion, if you're a guy and you see a beautiful woman and the Holy Spirit says, hey, where are your eyes? Where is your mind? <laughs> now, now, religion says, whoa, 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 I need to go tell her how she needs to change her clothes because this is I can't believe she's wearing that. Because <laughs> religion says the problem's out there. And while you're so active trying to fix the problem out there, you're ignoring the, the love of God is not shed. The Bible, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would, so all the guys, I told you this is uncomfortable sermon day. Every, all the guys are squirming in their seat. But look, you girls aren't perfect either. I'm just saying. I mean, I know you, you say you're just sharing your heart with people. It sounds a lot like gossip, okay? So I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> That you can, you, you, you can get angry all you want at other people, but the Holy Spirit is always going to talk to you about what's going on in your heart. Why do you feel the need to throw dirt on somebody else when they're not even in the room with somebody else who's not even a part of the problem? That's called gossip, by the way. It's just the definition. I thought it was a prayer request. Nope, that's gossip. It's, it's, it's like, like this, is, this, is where, this is where we know that we are not friends with the Holy Spirit because, because we live in such a way. And I'm not saying that God has like rejected us and he's gone out of our lives. No, he's there. He's with you. But you're not hearing him. You can't, you can't, you don't, you don't have his perspective. You don't have his heart. And so when these things happen, we become angry at other people instead of looking inside and saying, because if, if murder is the outcome of, of anger and hatred, what hatred is in my heart? I can't fight murder out there and protect anger in here. That's not how that works. You'll never defeat the giant of violence with anger. You'll never, and it's just anger everywhere. It's so, it's so palpable. Even that even that show, I hadn't even seen it, but the, the greatest showman, I just, I just saw that one song, This Is Me, you know? And it's a great message, This Is Me, you know, it's wonderful. But they're like, this is me. I'm like, holy, wow, hey, whoa, it's you, got it, cool, you know? I mean, confidence is not angry. It's a spirit of rejection that you're feeling inside of yourself, like, cool there, Nelly, this is, this is you, I got it. Um, just pull your top up a little bit, it's all good, everything will be good. Just, you know, it's like, Man, like, like I, I, I get it, but the, the anger underneath it tells me there's something else. See, you're not at peace, not happy. Kids aren't happy. Kids are always a good reflection of what's going on because they don't have all the, the political correct filters. They just are, and they reflect. And it's like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know I was that angry. I didn't know I was that stu and, and, and And we are because we haven't had the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. We have to become friends with the Holy Spirit. We have to engage the Holy Spirit in conversation. We have to make room for Him. We have to make time for Him. We have to make a place for Him in our lives. Speak to Him. Lord, Lord, what do you think about this? Because this is the way, I, I'm telling you, this is the way to decrease violence in our country. If everyone had the love of God shed abroad in their heart, you wouldn't have mass shootings. If everyone had the love of God shed abroad in their hearts. You say, well, that's not practical. No, you're just complacent. You've convinced yourself that it's safer for us to stand here on the sidelines 
and talk you know, religiously about the world, but allow the world to rush into absolute living hell. And that's what's happened. The church is withdrawn. The church is pulled back. The church has said, you know what? We're going to focus on our group. We're going to make sure people don't leave our church, make sure they give a lot of money, and we'll, we'll sing our songs. We'll talk about us, and we won't ever engage. We, we will do, in fact, we'll listen to our radio stations. We'll watch our movies. We'll hang out with our people, and we'll have our agenda and our policies, and we'll, make, we'll try to influence culture that way. I, heard, I, I actually heard one pastor say that he would rather have one congressman than 100 pastors, 100 preachers. And I thought, man, God would rather have one preacher than 100 congressmen because one person on their knees before God can accomplish more than an entire cabinet full of people who are getting paid off by a bunch of other people anyway. <laughs> have to answer to all their donors. One person on their knees is only answerable to God. He supplies my need. He takes care of me. But for many of us, we live kind of in this place that, that the people of Israel were in. And uh, I, I don't know if it's just me, but I see this picture in my head, and I want to try to communicate this to you as best I can. There's, uh, uh, there's, there's the three brothers, right? We have... We have um, we go back to that passage. We have we have Eliab, um, we have Abinadab, and uh, we have we have Shama, and these are the three brothers. They're hanging out, and the Bible says that David went back and forth. So this is I don't know. This is just the way I see it. I it's it's almost like we have the army right there. They're over here on this side, and they are debating how they're going to fight. They're talking about it. They're like, okay, guys, you know, uh, the, the, the bat party's over there. The fireball party's over here. We're going to try to figure this out. And, and, and they're, 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 they're dealing with the battle. But back in those days, they didn't have like professional soldiers. Everybody was supported by their family, which is why David, right, is the delivery boy. So he, so he gets loaded up with 23 liters of grain and uh, all kinds of cheeses and bread and stuff. And he comes to his brothers, and his brothers are hungry, right? And so David comes and feeds them. It's awesome. It's wonderful. There's this little, this little visitation. <laughs> Many of us have a visitation theology. Because we, 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 we hang out on the battle line, and then we start getting hungry. And then, like, you know, our kid gets sick. And then, um, like, something bad happens, and, or there's a shooting in, in Florida. And we're like, oh, God, I need you. And Dave, Dave. And Dave's over here, you know. Dave, God loads up his, his blessing, a little bit of grace. He comes on over to us. He feeds us. He nurtures us. He takes care of us. And we say, oh, thank you so much, Dave. It's so wonderful. Okay, now you can go now because we're good. We're going to take out this giant. It'll be fine. And so we send Dave away. Dave goes back home. I feel like this is our relationship with the Holy Spirit many times. We have this kind of like, he, like, like we see him as a, as, as, as a prescription for problems, right? Take him three times a day for two weeks and then you should be good. And so it's like, okay, God, I need you. And Dave comes over, the Holy Spirit comes over and he, and he supplies our need. He, he fills us, he visits us. And we settle for visitations when God is desiring victory. We settle for visitation. Okay, okay, great, great. I got what I need. You can go now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out this giant. It's going to be great. I'm going to take out this giant of comfort. I'm going I'm to stomp him out. I'm going I'm to get in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to join a gym in January. It's going to be awesome. 
and you guys aren't even in the gym anymore. It's already February. Come on, people. And, and you know, we're going, we're, going to, we're going to make a change. We're going to make a change in our life. And, and, but but it, we, have this, we, we, we have this visitation theology where, where David or, or the Holy Spirit shows up occasionally when we're really desperate. But then, you know, things are good. You're, you're, you're good, Dave. You can go home now. It's visitation. It's almost like we live in the Old Testament. We live in this time where, where I need a little touch from heaven, and then we get a little touch from heaven, and then, and then, and then, and then we're, we're good for a while. And we're like, okay, I'm good, good. And Dave goes, and the Holy Spirit goes. We don't make room for him. We don't invite him into our battlefield to live with us. We don't ask him to fight for us. We, we simply, you know, you know, just, just, just a little bit of supply. And honestly, you know, if I were God, I'd be like, you know what? You're not getting any more grain or cheese until you take the giant down. You know, you're going to starve out there until you like, I, I just went around, went, went, went around and burned all the grain and, you know, ate all the cheese and been like, oh, sorry guys, no more food for you. But God is actually much nicer than me. God is much more gracious than me. He keeps coming. He just keeps going back and forth, back and forth for 40 days, back and forth. God, I mean, every time you call him, man, he shows up. And some of you are like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad for that. Yeah, yeah. But, but he wants so much more for you than to stay fed on the sideline. I mean... You're being held captive, really. You're just, just being fed on the sideline, but he, he has victory for you. He has so much more for you, right where you're at. So much more. He, he desires to dwell with us, and that's, that's the friendship with the Holy Spirit that I'm talking about, where you don't get these little visitations just when you have trouble, but you have a companion who lives inside of you. You have a God who dwells, it's the biblical word, dwells, he, he stays, he lives, he, he's with you. And the truth is that actually he's, he's with you all the time anyway. So you don't have to tell him about what you did because he was literally there. You don't have to tell him about, you know, where you went because he went, he went with you. You didn't realize it until you called on him, and then he was there to help you and give you, okay, good, I'm good now. But what if we made space for the Holy Spirit to live with us? What if we woke up in the morning and said, good morning, Holy Spirit? That's the name of a book. <laughs> what if we said, good morning, what if we said, good night, Holy Spirit? What if, what if he was not a prescription for a problem, but what if he was actually a person who, who doesn't like being used? Just like none of us like that. But he, 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 he wants to be known. What if, what, if, what if we consulted him and asked him for his thoughts on Parkland? I, I, I have a feeling that the love of God would be shed abroad in our hearts. And, and, and at each of us in, in, in different levels. That's the thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't bash others and he, does, he never bashes me to myself. He never condemns me. He never says, Harry, you are just stupid. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you're, Harry, you know, you just, you're never going to get it. 
he's always full of hope. He's always full of grace. He's always full of faith. He's always full of possibilities and potential. And he, and he, and he, and he's, he just, he just believes in me. And the self-confidence doesn't come from me believing in me. It comes from me listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say about me and about my value. And, 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 and this conversation with the Holy Spirit can only happen when we invite him in and when we, when we allow him to take permanent residence. We allow the light of his love to shine into uh, our hearts. So, Lord, that's just what we do right now. God, we confess our need for the Holy Spirit. We just confess that we need you in our lives. We need you. We need your perspective. All the things that we can, the behaviors that we can change is, is good. But honestly, we cannot change our natural response. We cannot change our heart. We cannot change the anger the lack of peace, the restlessness, the feeling that we're falling behind, that we're missing out, that we're somehow not enough. All the giants that we've been talking about require the friendship of the Holy Spirit, require us to step out of complacency, step out of our comfort zone, and do things we've never done before. Maybe baptism is one of those things. Baptism is a step that says, I want a permanent resident. I want a permanent Holy Spirit inside of me. I want to go all in with God and invite him into my heart to live with me forever, to change my life. So baptism is definitely out of the comfort zone. But Lord, there's so many other things that you're calling us to do. Even just a, a regular prayer time would be out of, several, of many of our comfort zones gathering the family around the action Bible would be out of our comfort zones, would push us out of complacency. Lord, whatever it is, we, we need more of you. We need your spirit at work in our lives. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so we invite you, God, we invite you into our schools, into our family, into our workplace. God, help us to see these people the way that you see them. Help us to sense the urgency of the Holy Spirit. That time is running out. If heaven and hell are in fact real, then this is serious. This is not uh, just simply a, a religious persuasion. This is eternal consequences are at stake. God, help us to feel the urgency, not the condemnation, but the conviction. The conviction that we cannot sit on the sidelines. We cannot hope that some politician is going to do something. We have to shed the light, the love of God. In, we have to allow it to shine in our hearts, and then we have to deal with our own sin. We have to repent before you. We have to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to get all this stuff out of us so that we can actually love other people, so that we can see them for who they are. They are misplaced sons and daughters of God. They are, they are lost orphans that have not found their father yet. Lord, would you, would, you, would you pass on to us? God, may we use all of our resources. May we lose, use all of our money. We can't take any of it with us. May we use all of our cash, all of our resources. May we use our home. May we use our job. 
May we actually engage our neighborhoods. May we actually start, uh, you know, volunteer to coach Little League baseball teams so that we can lead people to Jesus. May we engage our community and get outside of our, our bubble so that we can actually offer the love of Jesus to this hurting world, that we can actually tell them about a hope that is within inside of us, some love that is shining inside of our heart, that there's a God who will not reject you, who will not uh, forsake you or leave you, but he will accept you exactly as you are, and you don't have to be angry about it. He'll take that, that need to defend yourself away because you've been defended by God. May we sense the urgency of our of our hour. Jesus.